How's it, Mike? Yeah, that's cool. No stress at all. Awesome. I think we're on. Hey, man. You can hear me okay. And we're live. I didn't know we were live. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, we're just recording. It's all good. I'm, I'll do a little intro and stuff first, but I just chucked it on record straight away just so I don't forget. Ah, okay. I forget. <laughs> Got you. Well, well nice uh, to meet you. Nice to meet you, man. Lovely to meet you too. This, mate, this has been such a long time coming. I look back through my messages and it said, I think we first touched base in October or November of last year. And I was like, I've been meaning to talk to you for so long and I've been so pumped about it. So thanks so oh, much. Oh, well, that's really kind. Thank you, man. It's, it's good to meet you. <laughs> yeah, nice to meet you too. So what I'll do is I'll just do a little bit of an intro um, and then I'll just open the floor for you to talk a little bit about what um, you do, um, what your specialty is, um, talk a bit about like what you're passionate about and why you do what you do. And then um, I've got some questions from the community that have come through. That is super epic. They're actually great questions, to be honest, and you'll be able to just elaborate on those. And it's everything you talk about already um, through your um, through your socials. So it'll be just like, it's super simple stuff. Okay, nice one, James. I appreciate it. Yeah, and thanks for shifting the time around a little bit. Um, I'm no away at a conference at the moment um, in Liverpool. And Liverpool, north of England, renowned for its grey, miserable weather. But it's actually beautiful. <laughs> I'm, I'm just looking at it now. It's like gorgeous, sunny morning. I'm looking down over the Mersey. Yeah, it's beautiful. Perfect. Beautiful. Oh, that's, that's perfect. Well, I live on the Gold Coast in Australia, and it's almost like it's... It's hard to say sometimes to people that do live in the UK or they live somewhere cold. It is beautiful yeah. weather here every day. <laughs> uh, I, I lived in Brisbane for a year. Um, oh, so no way. Familiar. Yeah, man. Yeah. Um, oh, it was a long time ago. It was 20 years ago now. Um, but the year after I qualified in medicine, I spent a year working as a young doctor in Ipswich. And it oh, lived, you're in Ipswich? Yeah, man. And lived in... Um, yeah, I know that's what everyone says. Even every, I remember coming back... We were going for, on a trip to New Zealand and coming back into Brisbane and the, um, the lady at immigration, you know, was just checking or whatever. It's a border security. And she was quizzing me and I said, yeah, I'm working at Ipswich Hospital. She goes, oh, really? Ipswich? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah everyone yeah. does that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, so yeah, yeah. I lived in central Brisbane and had a great year. It was just lovely. Spent plenty of time oh. on the Gold Coast as well. Lovely. Oh, it's great. Yeah, I love it. I love it so much. It gives me an opportunity to surf a lot, get out in the sun a lot. Uh, do my training and then also everyone here is very um very much of the same mindset they're all they've come to to come to invigorate their life and want to get happy and fit and do all the good stuff so it's um it's a good yeah. place to be but vibes are high for sure yeah agreed agreed awesome well i'll do a little intro very brief very easy and then we'll just rip straight into the first first little bit which is an intro about you that's cool cool thanks man great awesome what is up, boys and girls? This is James Newbury on the Fiber Performance Podcast. This is episode number 25 with Dr. Alan Desmond, who is a gastroenterologist and uh, plant-based. He likes to talk about plant-based eating and ways that we can increase our intestinal health through plant-based eating. And I have been meaning to talk to Alan for the better part of seven months now and finally get the opportunity to pick his brain about all the stuff that I'm fascinated by, which is intestinal health, gut microbiome work, bacteria 
and how we can create all the, the goodness inside the gut. So I'm going to hand it straight over to you, mate. Thank you so much for coming in. I just wanted to, yeah, just give you a, uh, a little round of applause from myself for trying to get you on for so long. Uh, thanks, so, man. Mate, <laughs> thanks for coming. I really appreciate it. And uh, if we could just ask you a little question, um, tell us a little bit about you, what you do, and how you got to where you are and what you're doing now. Oh, thanks, man. So I'm a medical doctor. I'm a consultant gastroenterologist. Um, so a gut health doctor. So I, in my, if you went to the hospital on any day of the week, you'd either find me on the ward, doing a ward round, seeing inpatients with on the very kind of sharp end of having digestive health problems, people who need to be on a hospital ward, or you'll find me at clinic, um, seeing outpatients at my clinic, uh, making sure that my patients are getting better and that they've got the very best evidence-based medication, the very best evidence-based dietary advice to help them to restore their gut health. Um, or you'll find me in the endoscopy unit um, doing procedures, wow. gastroscopies, colonoscopies, polypectomies, and things like that. That's one of the nice things about being a gastroenterologist, James, one of the few medical specialties where we get to, thanks to the amazing technology we have and all the clever people who developed endoscopes, we get to look inside the human body and get to look at the living organs that we're treating up close and personal in situ in the human body doing their thing i mean we'll talk a little bit about the gut microbiome later i guess but on a uh, you know on a very regular basis during my my week's work i get to look inside the um, home of the gut microbiome uh, predominantly in the colon and so it's really fascinating area to be in and you know there's this old saying in medicine, you know, that, you know, from Hippocrates two and a half thousand years ago, right, that all disease begins in the gut. I like to put a more positive spin on that. All health begins in the gut. And, <laughs> yeah. and in, many, in many ways, it's important. I mean, the GI tract is an incredibly complex system. And if your gut health is not good, your quality of life is not good. So being able to work in a medical specialty where I help people to restore their gut health, it, it is really, really rewarding. And through my work as a gastroenterologist, I've also developed a passion for um, advocating and recommending and speaking about and educating people on the gut health benefits and overall health benefits of a healthy plant-based diet. So yeah, that's me in a nutshell. Love that. That is so good and so up my alley as well. And whilst we talk to you know, omnivores and herbivores here and, and maybe some carnivores jump on and have a listen from time to time as well, it's always so uh, relieving knowing that there are some people in the space that are actually inside people's bodies having a poke around and still advocate a plant-based diet, especially with the gut microbiome. And like you did say, you know, all health begins in the gut. And if we don't have that intact, number one, we're probably not optimizing health, but also something that we talk about here as well is holistic points of performance. So how can we optimize our body to produce a specific effect or how can it lead to um, optimized training effects and how to, can it lead mm. to optimizing the way we sleep and the way that we recover as well because at the end of the day they say you are what you eat but we also like to say you are what you absorb too so if our gut's not working quite right and we're not absorbing the nutrients that we're giving to it or it's not agreeing with us for some particular reason um, that's I think where you can step into play and kind of say hey mm. this is what may be going wrong but I did want to touch on something that came through I put up a post earlier today and I asked the community, um, what, would you, what would you ask a gastroenterologist uh, who advocates a plant-based diet? And the first thing that got asked was, could you explain to us what leaky gut is? <laughs> could you explain what leaky gut is? Is it a thing? And how does it affect our, our, our mood? How does it affect 
inflammation? How does it affect our health in general? And what what types of symptoms would we uh, what would present themselves if someone was to have leaky gut? And is leaky gut even a thing? Yeah, a good question. You mentioned a, a moment ago that you know we want to absorb the correct nutrients. Okay, it's a very basic function of our GI tract. So our GI tract is an incredibly complex system. Um, when we consume food, I mean, we usually think of food as, you know, carbohydrates, proteins, fats, then our micronutrients are calcium, copper, iron, folate, exactly, all, all the rest of these things. We think of these as nutrients, but of course, these are the building blocks of our human body. These are the, the things that our body uses to build, repair, and function. I think every day, you know, a couple of ounces of your human body is brand new. You're, you're constantly regenerating and building new, uh, building new parts of your human body. So the basic building blocks to do all that comes from the food that you consume, and you need to absorb that food into your digestive system. So most of the absorption of this nutrients occurs in the small intestine um of the of your bowel so overall your bowel has a length of about five meters or 16 feet a surface area of about 32 square meters which is like half a badminton court and that wow. surface that surface area in many parts of it that that surface if you think that badminton court that is in many parts with the only thing that's separating the contents of your gut with all the food, nutrients, microbes, whatever else you swallow, toxins, infections, you know, if you get Campylobacter or, or another gut infection, the only thing that's separating all of that from your human body, from your blood supply, from your immune system is a single layer of cells protected by a little cover of mucus, a little mucin layer. So it's an incredibly well-balanced, dynamic, fascinating um, structure to look at. But with leakiness, of course, an element of gut leakiness is normal. You, you could argue that even absorbing food is leakiness. But when does gut leakiness become a problem? Well, gut leakiness becomes a problem when that epithelial barrier that I described, this little tight layer of cells, like a like a thin layer of translucent cellophane, if you want, when that becomes too leaky and the cells that make it up, the epithelial barrier, um, the tight junctions between them become damaged, which means that undigested food particles, um, uh, microorganisms and the, the uh, byproducts of those microorganisms, um, such as lipopolysaccharides, are now able to enter our bloodstream in an abnormally easy way, activating our immune system, entering our bloodstream, contributing to chronic inflammation. And chronic inflammation, of course, being one of the unifying mechanisms uh, that contributes to so many chronic diseases, everything from depression and low mood to inflammatory bowel disease, cardiovascular disease, to arthritis, et cetera. So if we have a bowel that has abnormal leakiness or abnormal permeability, then we refer to that as leaky gut. Are you with me so far? Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. So, that is fascinating. So in many ways, leaky gut isn't a disease process. Um, it, isn't a, it isn't an individual clinical entity. 
But what it is, is one of the markers of a general state of poor health that can contribute to multiple chronic health problems. So how do we prevent leaky gut from happening? I mean, well, my whole jam is about food. As you know, I'm very, very interested in evidence-based answers around food for my patients. And at the moment, the standard Western diet, the standard Australian diet, standard American diet, standard British diet, standard Irish, standard American diet, or what's now been referred to as the global standard diet, is a perfect recipe for abnormal intestinal permeability and leaky gut and abnormal gut inflammation. Because right now we are all eating this diet, which is meat heavy, dairy heavy, processed food heavy, junk food heavy, filled with artificial emulsifiers, which reduce the uh, mucin layer that helps to protect our gut, filled with artificial flavor enhancers, things like maltodextrin, which promote the growth of unhealthy bacteria within our gut microbiome, and then help those bacteria to breach the gut barrier, contributing to this abnormal intestinal permeability. It's a fiber deficient approach to food. It is a plant deficient approach to food. And all of this very much contributes to abnormal gut leakiness. So getting rid of, getting rid of those processed foods and all of those junk food chemicals, which is tricky for people, right? Because right now, thanks to the global standard diet, about 50 to 60% of calories come from ultra-processed junk foods. Now, lightly processed foods, not a problem. You know, things like your tofus and tempehs, lightly processed. I'm talking about the ultra-processed stuff, James. You know, since the 1950s, the food industry has been pumping polysorbates and carboxymethylcelluloses and maltodextrins and lecithins and all of these artificial chemicals which are made in industrial facilities they've been pumping these into our food system by the metric ton for decades Um, although many of them are deemed safe for human health these junk food additives are you know have no business in a healthy digestive system and really do contribute to chronic inflammation and abnormal gut leakiness. So get rid of the junk food. Just get the junk food, minimize it. I get it. Ultra processed food is nice. It's occasionally nice to have it like a you know a chocolate bar, a snack bar, something ultra processed. Um, whether you're you know vegan, carnivore, omnivore, or keto, I've got the junk food for you. Okay, we've got junk food for everybody now. It, it's available, yeah. what, whatever your dietary approach. But please do your best to avoid it. That's number one. Putting your focus on plants, plant-based foods is really, really important. We know that plant-based foods help to support the healthy gut microbiome to reduce abnormal leakiness. We'll come back to that later. And then, you know, alcohol is a big one. Alcohol, uh, no surprise here. Ethanol is toxic to your body. It's also toxic to your gut barrier. You don't need a gastroenterologist to tell you that. Anybody who's gone out and had a few too many beverages will tell you that their gut health is terrible the next day. Their appetite is terrible. The foods they choose to eat are terrible. The caloric intake goes up on those days after they've been out on the beer or whatever. And that's very much reflecting the toxic effects of alcohol in your gut. And then a few medications that are very commonly used um, in our in, in the modern world. So, you know, as, as a high performance athlete, you know what it's like to have some aches and pains the next day. 
or an injury and often using a painkiller like a, um, a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory, so ibuprofen or ketoprofen or um, diclofenac or any of these wonderfully effective uh, painkillers we have, these um, medications that reduce the production of prostaglandin in your body to so reduce pain. Unfortunately, they also have a very real and negative impact on the gut barrier. Um, the prostaglandin inhibition, reducing the production of that protective mucin layer that we see in the gut. So although using a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory for a few days or a day or two, if you've had a bad injury, um, it can be really, really helpful. And I wouldn't want you to miss out on that benefit. Using them on a long-term basis or for more than a week or two, or certainly if you're stuck on a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory for a long time, maybe go and have a chat with your doctor and say, look, is there anything else we can do here? And that anything else may not even be a pill, you know, depending on the pain that you're using the painkiller for, it might be about rehab, physio, um, other modalities of treatment, TENS machines, massage, acupuncture, whatever. But wh whatever you can do to avoid using regular non-steroidal anti-inflammatories is a good idea to, to help maintain that healthy gut barrier. Well, luckily, I was always of the idea, even since I was young, I never really used painkillers. I never really used oh, really? anti-inflammatories. Like, no, I never did. Like, I just, I kind of... I always kept myself in, in pretty good nick. I always was a big believer of trying to, mm. um, the, the natural approach to everything. So if I was, you know, super sore, I'd go soak myself in the ocean. Or if I, I would make sure I get sunlight on a, on a regular basis, I would, you know, I'd never really go down the path. And if I was sore, I was like, oh, well, my body's going through a process. I'll just, you know, deal with the soreness and I'll, you know, might have a, a sauna or extra sleep or drink a little bit more water, you know, just try and do it all as, as naturally as possible. So I was quite lucky in that respect, but then I have seen athletes in the same field as me, just, you know, popping painkillers left, right and center, especially weightlifters looking to take away knee pain and joint pain, sure. which I never, I never really dealt with. I, I never had a lot of it. If, you know, they went from time to time where I would overtrain to the point where I might get a bit of tendinosis or something happening in my knees, but then I was quick smart about, you know, getting on a protocol or a plan or a structure to help get that back in check and do it, you know, do it via movement. Um, rather than just masking the symptoms. I know I've been one to mask a symptom. I want to know the root cause and, and why it's like that and how do we fix it um, with either better movement patterns or you know, a protocol that I'm able to follow myself. So that was always a bit of a bonus for me. Well, that um, sounds like a good recipe for athletic longevity, you know, ignoring injuries and filling yourself with painkillers. So it definitely sounds like a short-term yeah. plan. Yeah, and one thing that you mentioned there that which is fascinating to me is that mucosa layer that you were talking about i want to talk about one of the little bacteria that is a bit of a regulator of that mucosa i want to talk a little bit about acomansia if you know a little bit about acomansia and, and ways that um if that is a if that is the main contributor maintaining that mucosa layer to make sure we we can minimize the leaky gut or an over chronic leaky gut is that the main contributor they're doing it or is there multiple bacteria that do that and how do we make sure that they're looked after so that mucosa layer isn't getting uh, too permeable yeah, of course. So, well, you know, Acomansia is one of the many bacteria that's gotten quite a little bit of attention in recent years and a lot of really interesting research focusing on it. And it does seem to, on an individual basis, have a real uh, positive impact on helping to maintain the health of that um, very fragile, complex, important, but also in many ways resilient barrier that we have in our wonderful digestive system. But I have to say, I think for individuals, and I think particularly for high-performance individuals, we can often kind of 
zoom in on like this one bacteria or this one thing we can do that is going to help us. And I'm sure that there, I have, I'm sure if I went online right now, I could probably buy some probiotics, which are using the acromansia to, you know, to market their product, right? And, and um, it's, it's, so if I just take this, I will restore my uh, gut microbial health. But I have to say the things that we just spoke about a moment ago have so much more evidence to support them in terms of maintaining and helping and benefiting a healthy gut microbiome. So it might be worth kind of, you know, just to leave Akkermansia for a minute and just go up to the kind of 10,000 10, feet view of the gut microbiome and what it is and the behaviors that we can take on each day, particularly around food, to maintain overall healthy gut microbiome. So then the, you know, the Akkermansia and all of the other bacteria will helpfully flourish. Um, how yeah, do you fancy doing absolutely. that? I mean, I mean, the gut microbiome, yeah. I mean, I've been very lucky in, in my career as a gastroenterologist. So I was in medical school from 1995 to 2001 in U University College Cork in Ireland, um, attached to Cork University Hospital. And at that university is um, what was called APC, the Alimentary Pharmabiotic Research Center, um, run by Fergus Shanahan, Eamon Quigley, and, and others. And one of the world's leading, and continues to be one of the world's leading, gut microbiome research facilities. They've published literally thousands and thousands and thousands of papers. If you're familiar with the work of Ted Dynan, that's where Ted, that's where Ted Dynan is, okay? And so I was really lucky to have some of those professors as my mentors, you know, really early in my career, talking about the gut microbiota and gut microbiome before anybody was talking about it. And when cool. I, which was very cool. And when I talked earlier, about doing um, sigmoidoscopy, camera tests, look inside the bowel. One of the very first times I had my hands on a scope when I was training how to do um, a camera test called a flexible sigmoidoscopy, looking into the lower bowel. I was doing it as part of a research study to get samples of the mucosal microbiome. Um, so the patients were actually uh, volunteers taking part in research. Um, who they were allowing us to go in and sample the gut microbiome for, for research on Crohn's disease. So it's always been there for me as kind of a background to um, my clinical practice. And the gut microbiome is so important for human health. You think about it, we've got maybe up to 100 trillion microbes living in our digestive system. Bacteria, vir viruses, yeasts, archaea. It is crazy, right? So that's you know, as many cells as the rest of our human body, um, as more genetic material, far more genetic material than the rest of our human body. And the, the thing about these bacteria, viruses, yeasts, and archaea is, you know, James, humans have been around, I don't know, maybe 100,000 years, maybe pr in a primitive form, up to a million years, we've had humans on this earth. But of course, those bacteria, viruses, yeasts, and archaea represent the earth's very first living organisms. So they've been around for billions of years, right? Literally mm. billions of years. So where they, it's their planet, okay? It's, it's a, mm. this planet is run uh, by microorganisms, not by humans, but within each one of us and on our bodies, we are carrying some of that very, very primitive life forms around with us. And what we know on an individual basis is that the gut microbiome begins to form the moment we're born, helps us to digest our very first meal, as kids growing up, it's incredibly important for the growth of a healthy GI tract, healthy immune system. 
And even as adults, it's been described as a control center for human biology, which has mm. a really, really important effect on our day. So you mentioned acromansia, but of course, we've got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of bacteria that are living in our gut, micro, in our gut microbiome, in our large bowel. And as they metabolize the food that we feed them three or four or five times a day, they are metabolizing, that is food for them too. And their waste products become, in many cases, become postbiotic substances, biologically active compounds produced by our gut microbes, which has been described by the Sonnenbergs as a you know, an unlicensed pharmaceutical factory, right? So they're making these biologically active compounds that can be beneficial or harmful to human health. And, you know, acromansia is a eubiome, a gut microbiome, a gut microbe that has beneficial effects on our host health, helping to maintain our uh, gut barrier. And then we've got our pathobiomes, the bacteria that have a net negative effect on gut health, like Bilophilia wadsworthia, for example. So Bilophilia wadsworthia um, is a bacterium that thrives in a high fat environment. So if you're eating, you know, standard Western diet, a lot of meat and dairy, etc., you're by definition consuming a high fat diet. If you're consuming a carnivorous diet, you are by definition consuming a high fat diet and a bug like um, Bilophilia wadsworthia um, produces secondary bile acids. So when you eat all that fatty food, your body needs to make a lot of bile to help emulsify and digest it. The residual bile gets delivered to your colon, becomes food for your gut microbiome. The bilophilic bacteria like Bilophilia wadsworthia love it. They thrive, they grow. Their waste products are, called, are secondary uh, bile acids, which are directly carcinogenic to the lining of the bowel. So if you're worried about acromansia and if you're worried about Bilophilia wadsworthia and all of these other bacteria, you really need to ask yourself on a day-to-day -day basis, what sort of gut microbiome am I building? Yeah, because yeah, that's fascinating. It, it's amazing, right? Because we, we talked earlier, the Sonnenbergs have described the gut microbiome as a control center for human biology. Now, the good news is, is that whether you're, you know, whatever your dietary approach, you can grab the controls on that control center three, four or five times a day, and you can dial it towards health or you can dial it away from health. And yeah. that's why yeah. I've become so passionate about talking to my patients about food and the gut microbiome. That is super fascinating. And you literally just touched on five or six points there. I was like, oh, Yes, this is exactly what we're talking about. So when we're looking, when we're looking at either trying to optimize that gut microbiome mm -hmm. or that um, diversity or that environment, the types of foods that we're looking to uh, bring into that environment, some of them are going to be digested early on, um, mm -hmm. essentially by our enzymes, and then some are going to make their way through further and be digested by the bugs. Now, can we talk a little bit about that process? So we have some foods that are getting broken down early, some foods that are making their way further down and the foods that are making their way further down or the, 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 the compounds that are making their way further down, we might be talking about polyphenols, we might talk about some fibers in there. So give us a little bit of a lowdown on the digestive process and where we're breaking down, you know, the macros and the micros and the polyphenols. Of course. So I guess what you're talking about there is how 
you know, that whole process about how the food impacts, right? Because when we eat a, so let me give you an example, okay? So today I'm going to have um, a standard Western meal. I'm going to have a beef burger um, on a white bread patty with ketchup, and then I'm going to have ice cream, okay? Mm-hmm. So I am eating, so I'm eating a meal that is made up of red meat, it is made up, maybe there's some processed cheese in there. Um, there's a lot of animal fat in there. Um, the grains that are in there are highly processed. So I've got this white bread. And then I've got uh, dairy, more dairy fat in the ice cream. And I've got a whole lot of simple sugars. Yep. So this is, a, this is a very, sta- these, this is the sort of food that makes up 60% of all calories consumed in high-income countries now. Um, in the UK, about... 80% for about 20% of people, 80% of calories come from foods like this. So th- this isn't theoretical. This is something that's happening right now. Okay. So because the grains are highly processed there, your body essentially treats them like simple sugar. They get absorbed in the proximal GI tract. They never get to the gut microbiome. So your gut microbiome is deprived of having any experience of having consumed whole grains because you have <laughs> simply consumed, you know, a highly processed white bread, which is like sugar. Um, your, the sugar in the ice cream gets digested very early, gut microbiome never gets to see it. Wow. So you're, That's you're, you're fascinated, but you're, 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 the human body, the digestive system is incredibly versatile. That's why humans have been so successful. Um, people, you know, there's a lot of people online arguing, oh, you know, human physiology is designed, you know, to be carnivorous. We're, we're more like apes. We're more like chimps. We're more like pigs, whatever, you know, and, and uh, people are arguing about this. But the fact is humans are, the human digestive tract is incredibly um, capable of extracting nutrients from a whole range of foods. And that's why the human organism has been so successful in so many environments historically. I mean, are humans it, no, whatever we've given or we've been able to scrounge out over our evolutionary period, um, it, in, in many cases, we've managed to make it to the age of 18 or 19, uh, procreate, ensure the survival of the tribe and then die. OK, so, you know, humans are really, really good at surviving on whatever food you give them. That's the difference between surviving in ancient uh, times and thriving in the 21st century, okay? But anyway, so you, you have this standard Western meal and what we're talking about here is the, the residuum. So your, your gut gets to work, absorbs the iron, the, you know, if there's some calcium in the ice cream, that'll get absorbed. You know, the, the proteins will get broken down into their constituent amino acids and those will be absorbed. The, the, but the heme iron and the non-heme iron and whatever else is in the red meat will get absorbed. So what we're left with is what we call the residue. And so our chime, this residue is now delivered to our colon, which is the home of the gut microbiome. Now, because we've chosen to eat this standard Western meal, what our colon receives uh, consists of or includes um, a lot of bile acids because we've had to produce a lot of bile to emulsify and absorb the ice cream and all the fat in the meat. We get residual protein. This is a very high animal protein meal. Um, so our body doesn't absorb all of that protein. So we now have animal protein and animal amino acids arriving in our large bowel to become food for gut microbiome. 
There's hardly any, if any, polyphenols, maybe some snuck in, maybe there was some tomato in the beef burger. And so we're depriving our gut microbiome of that. And from the meal I've just described, unless there was some lettuce and tomato in that burger, there is no fiber. There is no plant-derived fiber here. Um, so there is no fiber. Wow. There, are, there is no fiber in the residuum that arrives for our gut microbiome. So now, the, this liquid gets squirted into our large bowel. It is the home of the gut microbiome. And straight away in the ascending colon, our gut microbes, our colonic um, microbiota start to seek it out as food. You are now feeding certain types of gut microbes that thrive on bile animal protein and in a fiber deficient um, environment. And you know, so you have now got what we call a proteolytic gut microbiome, a gut microbiome that's thriving on animal protein. You've got a, a bilophilic, a high fat gut microbiome that thrives in a high fat environment, which is really a high bile environment by the time we get down to the gut microbiome. So we talked earlier about postbiotics, okay? Eubionts and pathobionts. So the bacteria that we're feeding here are almost exclusively producing postbiotic substances. This unlicensed drug factory is now producing biologically active compounds, which are almost universally harmful to our gut health. We are getting secondary bile acids, ammonia, hydrogen sulfide gas, we're getting, um, we're getting trimethylamine, which will be absorbed into our bloodstream, be converted into TMAO. And we are getting very few short chain fatty acids. So we can talk more about butyrate acetate, propionate later, but short chain fatty acids, incredibly beneficial to human health. You can, your, your gut microbiome can produce them by proteolytic fermentation, but it's a very inefficient way to produce them. So you are now depriving yourself of optimal short chain fatty acid production. So what effect does this have on your, the epithelium of your large bowel? Um, it promotes barrier dysfunction, epithelial dysfunction, DNA damage, uh, genotoxicity, carcinogenesis. In short, you're producing a gut microbial environment that is conducive to chronic inflammation, increases your risk of colon cancer and multiple other GI cancers, as well as contributing to abnormal gut permeability, chronic inflammation, coronary vascular disease, dementia, the list goes on and on and on. But so that, that was today, James. But tomorrow, because you've just heard this podcast, you say, okay, I'm going to do something different today. Um, what sort of gut microbiome am I going to build today? I'm going to build a different kind of gut microbiome. I am going to have a meal that looks like a meal that's been enjoyed by the healthiest populations in the world for years, a very, very Mediterranean, very whole foodie, very plant-based dish. Um, I've got whole grains, I've got vegetables, I've got fruit, I've got chickpeas and black beans, I've got plant protein. This is like a whole food plant-based diet. The, the veggies and the whole grains, the intact complex carbohydrates are the star of this dish. Love so that. I love that. Once, right, once again, so you, your digestive system, your incredibly complex digestive system gets to work. You chew the food, you swallow the food, you know, the enzymatic degradation, the chemical degradation kicks in. Um, this food passes through your, your small intestine where most of the absorption happens. And of course, now, because of your healthy dietary pattern, even before we get to the gut microbiome, you are benefiting 
because this meal, this dietary pattern that you're now eating is higher in vitamin A, vitamin C, um, in polyphenols, in folate, in phytonutrients, antioxidants. You're getting all the good stuff, the vitamin C. You're getting all of these good things that put people who eat a healthy plant-based or plant-predominant diet in such a good position when it comes to their overall health and their gut health, okay? So all of that absorption goes on. The non-heme iron is absorbed. The, you know, the calcium, the, the copper, the magnesium, the folate, it all gets absorbed. Your body gets to work with it. So now let's talk about the residuum, the, the stuff that is delivered from the small intestine through the little valve that separates your large and small bowel, the ileocecal valve, into your ascending colon, your large bowel, the home of the gut microbiome. So it's like night and day because now you're eating a meal that is naturally lower in fat. It does contain fat, predominantly uh, unsaturated and polyunsaturated fats, uh, which naturally occur in fruits and vegetables. I mean, those have um, those have required some bile production to emulsify them, but far less than you got from the previous meal. So there's hardly any bile acids arriving. So we're not feeding those bilophilic bacteria anymore. You have eaten a meal that's, um, and I mean, people worry about this. I'm sure in, in your world, in the CrossFit world, people worry about the fact they haven't gotten enough protein in this meal. You know, we can talk about that later. There is adequate mm. protein in that meal, not excess protein. So you're not getting that animal protein. You're not getting that excess protein protein delivered to your gut microbiome. You mentioned polyphenols earlier. So this meal is packed with polyphenols. And of course, most importantly, packed with a diversity of fiber. So the fruits, the vegetables, the whole grains, etc., all contain these different forms of dietary fiber, which is non-absorbable, different forms of microbiome available carbohydrates, which are going to feed different families and different subtypes of microbes leading to a healthy and diverse gut microbiome. So the bugs that get to work on this, this liquid that we've just fed our gut microbiome are a completely different family of bacteria. They produce short chain fatty acids, they produce vitamins, they produce antioxidants, and they don't produce secondary bile acids. They don't produce high levels of hydrogen sulfide gas. And this produces a healthy environment within the gut microbiome, um, which promotes uh, anti-inflammatory pathways, healthy cell metabolism, anti-proliferation, anti-carcinogenic. So you have now built a gut micro microbial environment that is not conducive to chronic inflammation or colorectal cancer. And in the last two years, we've also learned about the benefits of having some fermented foods alongside that meal, which can even tap into novel anti-inflammatory and anti-cancer pathways that just the high fiber approach alone um, can't tap into. And when we, when we take that science, that theoretical science that I've just described to you, it's not theoretical science, very well mapped out science, on, on the patterns, dietary patterns that promote a healthy gut microbiome and the dietary patterns that fail to do so and do the opposite. When we go out into the world and we do research to look at gut microbiome in people who are healthy and unhealthy, it bears out. So a few years ago the, in Nature, there was these two papers published looking at people with bowel cancer, okay? Bowel cancer, the number one non-gender specific cancer on earth, 
Um, in Australia, a, a very common cancer increasing, um, sadly, in prevalence in Australia, um, in many ways due to um, Australia's high consumption of um, meat, particularly red meat, which is still on the increase. Um, but what they did was they looked at patients with colorectal cancer and compared them to patients who didn't have colorectal cancer. And they looked at the gut microbiome structure and function. But what's really interesting about this is this research was done globally. So this was done in multiple different countries with multiple different food cultures, multiple different genetic backgrounds to the patients. But what they found was the gut microbiome signatures in colorectal cancer patients were consistent across these multiple populations and multiple food cultures. The microbiome of patients with colon cancer substantially enriched with the bacteria that thrive on meat and fat with a higher capacity to produce secondary bile acids and trimethylamine and fewer of the bacteria that metabolize fruits, vegetables, and starches. And in, in my mm. book, I refer to that as the carcinogenic gut microbiome. Mm, that is so fascinating, Alan. Honestly, like I think I think this is the type of education that we should be pushing out more and more and more, which is like why I love to do the podcast because people are getting real-time information from the latest science and looking at what the latest research is showing. Now, you mentioned in there feeding particular gut microbes, some some feed on fat, some feed on animal protein, some feed on um, you know plant fibers. Now, if we are feeding a particular set of gut microbes the same thing on a regular basis and they're becoming stronger, will they populate more and take up more space in that gut microbiome and then shun the other ones or will the other ones die off eventually, decreasing our diversity in the gut? Is that something that can happen or do they lay dormant or stay around or are there particular strains that kind of go away and never come back unless we try and, you know, reseed them if we can do that? So I guess my question is, if I was to break it on down, if we constantly use and uh, if we constantly feed on the same things, are we, are we creating dysbiosis in the gut? Well, the gut microbiome is incredibly resilient and incredibly good at bouncing back from damage or insults. Um, and we could talk about that with antibiotics later, but I think the research around antibiotics in the gut microbiome, which people are often very worried about, to, to, to me, when I look at it, I see science that demonstrates that the gut microbiome is incredibly resilient and incredibly good at recovering and recuperating. I've heard people use the analogy, which I think is very useful, of a garden. Okay, so yeah. if you if you have a garden and you you know you do your very best to take out all the plants and you just want a green lawn and you just want six different kinds of flowers in there, because that's the garden that you want to have. You want to look out, see perfect green lawn and maybe four or five different types of flowers, you have now decided you're going to have a, a lawn and a garden with very low diversity. You have mm -hmm. reduced the diversity of living things that are growing in your garden, and you are probably going to diverse the, di reduce the diversity of living things that are going to come and live in your garden, right? You are mm -hmm. producing an unnatural garden, okay? Yep. But if you, if you stop raking and cutting and spraying the chemicals that you know uh kill off the plants that we refer to as weeds and if you stop doing that for six months or a year 
And if you come back, you're going to come back to what looks very much like a meadow. You're going to come back to something that has rewilded itself, correct? Yep. And in many ways, and, and in many ways, the gut microbiome is very similar to that. It has a huge mm. capacity for changing according to the food. So in, in my book, I talk about research on uh, Western lowland um, gorillas. So how is this relevant? Well, it's very relevant. If you look at research in human beings, and if you look at the structure and composition of our gut microbiome throughout the year, um, you'll see papers saying that the gut microbiome is incredibly constant. It hardly changes in humans. You know, you have, you've got a certain gut microbiome and it just stays like that. But of course, the reason the human gut microbiome in high income countries is so stable is because we eat the same foods. We don't spend time in natural environments. Our daily habits when it comes to food, sleep and exercise are mostly very constant. They're very regimented. So we do the same thing. We eat the same thing January through to December year round. So of course that makes our gut microbiome very stable. If you look at Western lowland uh, gorillas in Africa, so they are 98% genetically human. Um, they're some of our closest genetic um, relatives in the rest of the animal kingdom. They live in many ways in the way that very, very, very primitive humans lived. They live outdoors in nature. They're drinking from streams, you know, they're, they're covered in dirt. And they eat an almost, apart from the occasional termite, they eat a varied, exclusively whole food plant-based diet, okay? About 100 grams of fiber a day plus. But what's really interesting, and I just love this research and the, the research papers on this, because they vary the food that they eat depending on the season, very much so. And the, the plant diversity in their diet changes and fluxes on a monthly basis. So, you know, during um, certain seasons, they'll be filling their boots um, with lots of juicy fruits and all that kind of good stuff. And then during leaner months, they'll literally be eating bark and seeds, etc., um, trying to eke out enough calories to get through the day. And their gut microbiome is incredibly labile, if you want, and incredibly responsive. Of course, what we know um, in human research now is that, uh, no surprise, the human gut microbiome is just as responsive to healthy dietary change and to healthy habits. And there are things that we can do on a daily basis that can substantially improve the health of our gut microbiome, can substantially improve our overall health. And, you know, it's interesting because when you go to the research on this, and when you really sit down and go, okay, I'm going to go online and I am going to get like five tips to improve my uh, gut microbial diversity and increase my gut microbial health overall, you're going to find things like this. You're going to find number one, eat a varied, predominantly or exclusively plant-based diet. So eat 30 different plants per week at a minimum. Get your protein from plants. Excellent advice to build a healthy gut microbiome. We can talk later about some of the research showing um, how people who eat a varied plant-based diet, you know, 
demonstrably have a healthier gut microbiome. The plant-based gut microbiome is a healthier gut microbiome, number one. Number two, get sleep. Make sure you're getting enough sleep. We know that beyond food, there are other things that impact the gut microbiome. So we know in people who do shift work, we know that people who've been sleep deprived or suffering from jet lag, their gut microbial diversity takes a hit. The fiber loving bacteria are reduced. So getting enough sleep. There are some researchers who think that our gut microbes help to set our diurnal sleep and wake pattern. Um, but certainly our gut microbes seem to be on the same 24 day cycle or 24 hour daily cycle as we humans are. That shouldn't surprise us. Like I said, our gut microbes have been here on earth for about 3 billion years. Okay. So they're responsive to the same cycles as we are. Uh, number three, exercise benefits the gut microbiome. I spoke earlier about how I worked at University College Cork, APC Gut Microbiome, now called uh, Microbiome Ireland. In fact, very excited. We're working on a, a research protocol at, at the minute. Uh, we're, we feel like we're this close to getting ethical approval and getting off the ground with that. But they published some data even 10 years ago um, showing that um, elite athletes, independent of diet, have a healthier gut microbiome, um, a more diverse gut microbiome. Um, they, the initial study was done on elite rugby players, monster rugby players, actually, um, initially. Wow. So further research has shown, shown us that everyone can benefit from that. Okay. Wow. Um, spending time in nature is important. Mm -hmm. our, where do our gut microbes come from? I mean, every surface on earth is covered with microbes. Our gut microbes come from natural environments. So if you spend time in the woods, in a garden, digging the soil, swimming in a river, swimming in a lake, at the beach, you are putting yourself in a microbially rich environment. And these microbes do populate our gut. This We know that rural dwellers have a more diverse gut microbiome than urban dwellers. When we look at the research now, um, and there's so much uh, evolving research on gut microbial transplant, FMT, when you look at those papers, you will see that the you know researchers are seeking out two sorts of people to be donors for gut micro good you know poop donors for for yeah. FMT and gut microbial transport. They are looking Capsule. at <laughs> crapsules, right? So the research the, the the researchers, the people that we want donating the samples for those interventions are vegans, healthy vegans, and people who live in rural communities, because we know these are two populations that have super healthy gut microbiomes. Avoiding excess medications and unnecessary medications, unnecessary antibiotics is important. If you need to be on a medication, that's great. You spoke earlier about some of your uh, fellow athletes taking all sorts of medications um, to help with their performance that may have a negative impact on their gut microbiome. We know that minimizing your exposure to animal products is important. I've just spoken about that a minute ago in, in, in detail. And then spending time with other people, James, is important. You know, again, research from my alma mater at APC and University College Cork um, showing that among rural Irish populations, this was specifically research done on the Irish traveler population. I don't know if you're familiar with the Irish, Irish travelers. So they are a fairly marginalized um, culture within Ireland. They live on the margins of society. Um, but, but definite research within the Irish traveler community showing that family size and community size has a very uh, significant um, positive impact on the health and diversity of our gut microbiome. Now, can I add one more tip onto that? I think in recent yeah. years, we've seen, you know, Chris Gardner's research and the Sonnenberg's research 
on the intake of fermented foods. So fermented foods have been around for a very long time, um, really originating from when we didn't have refrigeration and we needed other ways to um, preserve our foods. They've had a bit of a comeback in the last 10 years in high income countries where people are enjoying the kind of complex tastes of things like, you know, kombucha and kimchi, kefir, etc. And what we know, thanks to the Sonomers and Chris Gardner and their research in the last few years, is that when we consume um, even one or two servings of fermented food, so your kefir, your kombucha, uh, your sauerkraut, etc., that that brings even extra benefits to our gut microbial health. So those are evidence-based, bang-up-to-date recommendations for a healthy gut microbiome. But of course, they are also evidence-based bang up to date recommendations for uh, better coronary vascular health, better mm. mental health, better overall health, improved happiness. So mm. I guess what I'm trying to come back to is we talked at the start of this conversation about how a healthy gut microbiome um, is in many ways integral to being a healthy human. We talked about mm. how all, all, all health begins in the gut, okay? So to digest, to take in food, to digest it and turn it into the building blocks of our human body is a very basic and integral human function. So it shouldn't surprise us that evidence-based advice for a healthy gut and a healthy gut microbiome is really evidence-based advice for being a, a, a healthy, happy, and um, long-lived human. Well, that's exactly right. And I think we probably lose sight of the fact that those things other than what we put into our mouths play such a vital role in keeping the gut microbiome healthy. So making mm. sure we're doing some exercise, making sure we're getting out and you know maybe seeking a bit of sunlight in nature, maybe uh, congregating in other happy and healthy social circles that you potentially share some microbiome with at some point in time or just you know induce you know, a euphoric effect of being around good people. Um, but on top of that, the, the, the key thing here that I'm, I'm hearing the most is diversity. So if we're consuming our diverse diet, 30 plus plants per week, I usually try and aim for 40 myself and trying to get as many different colors and compounds, um, scents and smells and spices and, and all of the, the cool things that we can get out of a, a diverse diet is going to enrich that gut microbiome um, diversity too. And if we're increasing the diversity in our gut, we're allowing ourselves more opportunity for our gut to then feed on more fibers to create more diverse types of short chain fatty acids and all the cool things and all the health promoting things to the host, which is us. Um, we're giving ourselves that best opportunity. Is that, is that what uh, we're trying to look for here? Diversity in the, in the food that we eat and diversity equals kind of diversity in the gut and then diversity in the short chain fatty acids and the health benefiting compounds that are then produced. So the diversity concept um, came from research done by the American Gut Project. So the American Gut Project analyzed the, the uh, gut microbial structure and function of, I think, about 12,000 volunteers from the United States and the UK, predominantly the United States, also the UK, um, Australia, I believe, and a few other countries. So this, this is, was a very deep dive into the impact of diet on the, and lifestyle and medication use and exercise and all the rest of it on our gut microbial structure, function, and diversity. Um, within the UK, um, my friend Tim Spector, who's an incredible 
um, gut, microbiome, gut microbiome researcher and overall medical researcher um, was one of the uh, leads on that research. So it's really interesting to look at where that diversity concept came from because it has certainly entered the public consciousness, okay? So the first thing to say is this was the number, the number one dietary predictor of a healthy and diverse gut microbiome was the diversity of plants in the diet. Wow. Not diversity of foods, diversity of plants. So that's wow. important. Number two, it was 30. So they said more than 30 plants per day. They found that individuals who were consuming more than 30 different plants per week unlocked certain fiber-loving fiber loving bacteria within their gut microbiome that they just didn't see in other people. However, wow. because this research was done in high-income countries, the fewer than one in 250 people were hitting that 30 plants per week mark. So that's thanks to the standard Western diet. So when we talk about plant diversity, and the more than 30 days is actually an arbitrary number, is just how the stats figured out, it's really important to remember that this was within a population almost exclusively in high-income countries where the standard Western global standard diet prevails. So I don't mm. think it even begins to describe the benefits of having a diverse plant-based diet. It just wow. touches it. It just touches it. So James, if you are eating more than 30 different plants per week, then bravo, you know, because mm. you yeah. are rare, okay, in <laughs> high-income countries. And that, that's really important to note. So the, the, um, the diversity piece is really important, but I think it's really useful to look at where that comes from. And of course, if you are one of the reasons I'm an advocate for a healthy whole food plant-based diet is because a healthy whole food plant-based diet builds in that plant diversity. It, it's impossible to avoid. You, you'll be eating you know, 30 different plants maybe every day or two and yeah. you are yeah. going to have a level of plant diversity in your diet, which is extremely rare in high-income countries now. And the lack of plant diversity is one of the key reasons why our gut microbiomes are so unhealthy, which contributes to so many gastrointestinal disorders, but is also just one of, just one of the factors that is contributing to our high rates of obesity, overweight, type two diabetes, cardiovascular disease, uh, dementia, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, well, that's super fascinating. For, for me, what, when people come to me and say, hey, James, I'm looking, for, I'm looking for optimal performers. I wanna go to the CrossFit Games. I wanna compete with the best in the world. I usually touch on, the first thing is they're looking for a program. They're looking for, you know, maybe the, the, the quick fix. And this is not everybody. This is not going to blanket mm. statement everyone. But a lot of people are just like, give me the program that's going to set me apart from the rest. And I'm just like, tell me about your sleep or tell me about your, your diversity in your diet. And the idea for me has always been, I never wanted to sacrifice my longevity or long-term health for a gold medal short term. That just wasn't an interest to me. I love competing and I love being fired up to compete. But the idea for me was to become and to help people become as healthy as we possibly can because if we are at optimal health we then give ourselves the most opportunity to be the best performers on the planet and that is making sure that we have 
we're optimizing our mitochondrial function. We're optimizing our sleep. We're optimizing the way the gut microbiome works. We're optimizing the way that we uh, deal with inflammation and regeneration of cells. We're optimizing everything that we possibly can. And for me, when I typically talk to someone about my, um, my meals, I'll usually say I'll do, you know, I, I love smoothie bowls. I'll usually have a, a smoothie bowl once a day, sometimes twice a day, but in a smoothie bowl, mm. easy enough, I'll get 20, 20 to 25 plants in that smoothie bowl alone, just a big range of different types of nuts and seeds and then lots of different fruits um, wherever I possibly can. So nuts, seeds, fruits, that's usually a smoothie bowl. But then you look at the other end of the spectrum, something a bit more savory. I'm looking at, say, mm. a plant-based poke bowl with tempeh, which is also fermented. You put on some sprouts, you chuck on some sauerkraut, and then you just fill it with different grains like basmati rice and you're adding in, you know, lettuces. And I even chuck raspberries and strawberries and mangoes and pineapple through that as well, just because it is increasing the colors, it's increasing the mm. plant diversity, and you're just giving yourself the best opportunity to create more of the compounds that is going to help our body perform at optimal levels, not just for health and wellness, but then also for performance too and making sure we can run faster 5Ks, lift heavier back squats, and then live longer and happier and still be out in the surf having a wave at 70 years old and not being you know, so buckled down that you just can't regenerate and things aren't working optimally anymore. So I think getting in the plant diversity is, I feel like it's just around education. If we can educate people, like you can add you know, walnuts and pine nuts and, and almonds to your smoothie bowl that has dragon fruit and blueberries and strawberries. And you can put it all together and, and create a concoction of beautiful polyphenol rich fiber, rich foods that are going to produce great short chain fatty acid compounds and also give you those vitamins, phytochemicals and things that are going to help you opt optimally perform and be healthy for a long, long period of time, which is what we're after, right? Well, what you're just, what you're describing there is the kind of practical implementation of all of the pretty uh, kind of cutting edge science that we've just been discussing for the last 40 minutes or so. So that, that's the beauty of this is that when it, I mean, we've talked um, uh, about some complex stuff here, but when it comes down to your day-to-day -day practices, it, it is actually very simple. Now, the, the fact that it's very simple doesn't make it very easy. Um, it, it's simple, but it may not be easy for people. So I love what you're doing in that you are helping to educate, motivate and support people and I think as a doctor, um, working with patients predominantly who will be eating the standard uh, Western standard global diet and working with a wonderful team of uh, expert dietitians and pointing them towards the right resources, we can really, really help people to become educated, motivated and supported to make these changes. Because for, for many people, the things that you, you've just described a moment ago um, which to me, you know, having tempeh and grains and so, and all these fermented foods, that has become a habit that I have built over years because of my interest in gut health and my own overall health and, you know, living a healthy life and having a, being happy and healthy on a daily basis and also adding healthy years of life to my time on this earth. But for a lot of people that would sound, you know, so completely foreign to the system that they've grown up in. So good on you for helping to motivate, educate, and support people to, to build those habits and make those simple but not easy things something that they are now consciously competent in and which they implement on a daily basis. You know, so if someone, when, when people ask me, um, you know, is a healthy diet and lifestyle worth it? I say, well, check in with me in 60 years. I'll be 105. 
and yeah. um, th- we, we can sit down and discuss whether it was worth it or not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, and I appreciate that. And I thank you too. I think what you're doing is amazing, amazing, especially with the reels. And if you guys haven't seen um, Dr. Allen's reels before, jump onto his Instagram and check them out. They're, they're fascinating. And every day you can absorb a little bit of extra information that you can then implement into a very easy practice. And I think the thing that most people do is there are a lot of mindsets out there that are all or nothing. If I don't literally just go cold turkey straight away and flip everything all in one go, then it's not worth doing. And that is sometimes not the best way to do it. Simple, slow progression and consistency is key. And that goes for training as well. But if you're looking to try and shift your diet from that very common Western diet that we have into a more of a plant rich diet, do it over the course of a couple of months or a few months or six months, but start with something simple and easy to do. Write a list on the fridge of 20 different plants that you're going to add in each week. Tick them off the list as you eat them. Just once is fine. You might have one of those plants five times and might have only, you know, you might have one of those other plants once. But then when you hit the 20 and you can do that for a week, go to 25, then go to 30. And then if you can hit 35 or 40, bonus. And then now you're starting to unlock your shopping cart when you go to do your weekly shop or you go to the local markets to get your produce you now know what to get before it was not even a consideration that you go and might pick up an apricot or you might go pick up some walnuts or you might go pick up some pecans. That wasn't on your radar because it just wasn't open to you. You don't know what you don't know, right? So now you're starting to broaden your horizons and broaden the spectrum of the foods that you're now eating. And in turn, you're also broadening the way that you are combating, you know, this, uh, the world that we live in, which is, you know, a constant threats and constant, um, constant threats of disease and, and pathogens. So, the idea here is to broaden your horizons and, and diversify that diet as much as we can. Now, one thing before we wrap up, I just would love to touch on just one complex, I guess, thing that people deal with on a day-to-day basis. When people shift from the common Western diet and they shift to a more plant-based diet, sometimes they go through a short phase of feeling worse before they mm-hmm. get better. Could you explain what's happening when you shift your diet and your gut microbiome and your whole intestinal tract is dealing with something completely different that you've never consumed before, even though it may be healthier, but it feels terrible in the initial phases. And some people don't make it through those phases because they think it feels worse. I think that can happen in some people. And obviously those people then seek support and we do hear a lot from them. But it's important to remember that a healthy plant-based diet is a really healthy way to eat. It's really good for your gut microbiome. We know, that, for example, that people who eat a healthy whole food plant-based diet are at substantially reduced risk of serious gut health problems. For example, 80% less likely to get a GI cancer, 50% less likely to get an inflammatory bowel disease, less likely to be admitted to hospital for any reason, perhaps up to 90% less likely to have a heart attack or a myocardial infarction, reduced rates of type 2 diabetes, high cholesterol, high blood pressure. It makes a difference. Okay, It makes a huge difference to your health, including your gut health. I think for the majority of people who move to a healthy plant-based diet, they don't experience problems. But if you've been eating a very plant-deficient, a very uh, plant-deprived diet, and then you go, okay, I'm going to turn everything on its head tomorrow, kale smoothie, poke bowl, chickpeas, black beans. So you're going from zero to 90 in one day, then for many people, their gut microbiome, their physiology is not ready for that. The advice you gave a moment ago about baby steps in my own book, I talk about, you know, start with breakfast, 
then move on to lunch, then move on to dinner, then move on to snacks. If you're eating uh, three servings of fruit, three servings of vegetables, and three serving of whole servings of whole grains each day, which most people aren't, you are ready for a healthy dietary change, okay? You're, yep. you're, you're at the point where you can now embark. So what can you, I, I think the main tip is just as you've said, take a step back, slow it down. Um, you're, you're, it just ex, you're getting, you're fermenting, you're producing gas, you're producing liquid, that, that's gonna be an issue for you. So slow it right back down um, yep. and make the change gradually. And I guess the other thing, James, is like often when people decide to embark on a healthy whole food plant-based diet, they completely turn their dietary approach on its head. And then they mm. come back and that and that not only does that you know so they've replaced their morning bacon buddy with a kale and mango smoothie and not yeah. only have they just really 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 ramped up the dietary fiber intake they're also going to miss the bacon buddy that they've been eating for the last 30 years and it's going yeah. to make it unsustainable for them so yeah a, a, another key tip is to look for healthier plant-based versions of foods that you already love so you're not you know if you like you know chicken curry get a nice healthy chickpea curry recipe if you like a burrito make it okay it's same burrito but we're going from beef to black beans you, okay mm -hmm. you like to have a bacon sandwich in the morning what can we do well maybe we can learn how to make a mushroom sandwich in the morning maybe with some nice smoky flavors or some baba ganoush or some you know barbecue type um sauces in there so you're getting those same flavor notes that same experience but you're doing it in a much healthier way so just find healthy plant-based versions of the foods that you already love a healthy plant-based diet is completely compliant with every food culture every uh, preference that's out there you can find the healthy plant-based version of the food that you love and have that um, it's going to be far more sustainable in terms of your gut health your digestive health but i also think psychologically more um likely to be sustainable more familiar to your family you know i, I met a lady at an event i did last year and she called herself i think she called herself the stealth vegan or the undercover vegan i can't quite remember and i said that's a really yeah. interesting name why do you call yourself that and she goes oh well you know after reading all the research and i listened to your podcast and read your book i decided that my whole family should go plant-based but i didn't tell them um yeah. and i and i cook for my husband and my three children so yeah i, I just started making everything plant-based and they didn't notice for about three or four weeks <laughs> oh, i love that so much that is so mm. cool oh good on it oh, i think that's great well, something else that uh, we'll just I'll just quickly touch on um, just before we we finish up um, is that if you're also looking for things that are going to that you might see from moving to a uh, plant-rich diet or a plant-based diet exclusively as well, and this is just personal um, personal experience in in my mind, um, I had an accident maybe four years ago now. I came off a mountain bike and I broke T2, T3 spinal processes, four ribs, punctured lung, had a pneumothorax. Um, pretty nasty concussion as well. I was completely plant-based at the time. And the bounce back and recovery, I was back. Um, I had an Ironman in five weeks' time after after that um, that collision. And wow. I completed I completed my Ironman five weeks later. The bounce back, the, the, the lung recovery, the bone breakages, they were all, they were sped up in half the time, like less than half the time than, you know, what was recommended. And that was on a completely plant-based diet. That was making sure I was optimizing sleep, optimizing sunlight, getting in the ocean, 
um, you know, doing some extra little things like sauna and, and ice bath and a bit of meditation work. But again, that was all um, on a plant-based diet at the same time. And just recently I came back from Indonesia and I was surfing. I got a pretty nasty fin gash on my foot. Um, it was seven stitches. It was pretty deep. It was pretty long and it was healed up, ready to go within about five days. Um, wow. it was, yeah, pretty, I took it to the doctor and he goes, what is going on? This is healing so quick. And he's just like, what do you do? I was like, well, I am an athlete. I do spend a lot of my time training. Um, one thing that I also do is I'm completely plant-based as well. And he goes, man, well, I haven't seen a gash like this heal up so fast. So good on you. Keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. Oh, that's cool. Well, mate, I just want to say thank you so much for jumping aboard and, and shedding some light on plant-based diet, gut microbiome and all the cool stuff that you've been working on. And I think what you're doing is only a service to the community. So if anyone would like to go and listen to more of what Dr. Alan Desmond has to say, I'm going to put all of your connections, socials, everything like that down in the show notes. And I just wanted to say a huge thank you for jumping on the Fiber Performance Podcast, where we talk about all things health and performance. Oh, well, James, thanks for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. I feel like we could talk for another two or three hours at least. Um, but I've got, I've got a, a medical conference to get to in a few minutes. Um, so, yeah, next time. Next time. Next time. Let's do it, mate. Thank you so much, and I'll, I'll chat to you soon. Okay, James. Take care. Bye. Awesome. Mate, thank you so much. That was great. That was super fun. There we go. Um, yeah, we're good to go, buddy. You're all sweet. Thank you so much. Let me just check um, with this um, browser. I'm using, whoop, I'm just plugging in my phone. It's about to run out of juice. Um, so can I just leave this browser now?